This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. It's great. It's great to be here today. I need to say, you know, when you take a week off, I actually am a little bit nervous preaching today. Because like, wow, I haven't done this in so long. It's been a week. So it's, so it's great to be here. We have a really special service for you. And again, I know we got a ton of people joining us from online. Uh, we're going to be talking about, about perfectionist tendencies, and then we're going to be talking about what it means to actually be perfect. So it's a great service. I think you're going to really leave here inspired today. And what this is, this is part, this is a third part of a series we've been doing for our first-time attendees. It's called Behind Enemy Lines. It's looking at how a lot of the time we feel like we're behind enemy lines, and God is constantly calling us out to something very, very different. But I, but I think it's real important for us to just be honest about like, yeah, you know what? We struggle with this. We struggle with our judgments of other people. We struggle with being negative. So just to prove to all the new people how honest our audience is, we're going to start out with this question here. Most of us harbor a human tendency to habitually be over and against others. In the past 24 hours, how many people have you held thoughts for that were over and against? All right, so you're welcome to share that with somebody or text me in a number. So past 24 hours, how many, how many people do you think? Yeah, I held something over and against them, against them, against them. All right, so you're welcome to text that to me or just share it with a neighbor. Please take 60 seconds and do that. All right, folks. So, the, the, you know, lots of answers coming in. And, and we do that, right? And, and a lot of it, uh, you know, goes in cycles. I was laughing with my friend thinking it probably depends on whether we're commuting that day or not. Uh, <laughs> you know, who do we hold things over and against? Because it's real important to understand, that, yeah, we struggle with that. And I, I want to sort of set a bigger context for that. What's interesting to me is this about our view of God. We tend to sort of take our own ideals and then kind of create a God out of those ideals. So, and that's, I think that's human. I don't think it's necessarily horrible, but the problem is, is that we end up creating a God who likes the people we like and dislikes the people we dislike. Uh, Any of us do that out there? You know, like, of course God doesn't like them. How could he? You know, crazy stuff, right? And we do that all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's in the business of being a preacher. We talk a lot about, like, we are made in God's image and likeness. We get it backwards all the time and create God in our image and likeness. So there has to be a way that God can get at us and can start to punch at, poke through those, those constructions that we have. Those mental constructions that we have that we create because we won't be happy living in that place. It's not who we're made to be. We're not made to be over and against, you know, a dozen people every day. And that's where we see God's word reminding us again and again, there is a different way to see this. There's a different way to hold this. And so much of that comes down to what Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read to you part of that, and then I want to talk about what, what some of the challenges are with this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is from Matthew 5. And this is a passage we've been looking at for, for the three parts of this series. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? 
Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's this beautiful line, and and again, like we read through that so fast, but I think it's Christ really trying to sort of poke at our constructs of what God is. That, That God somehow will always perfectly reflect exactly who we are. Reality, God reflects a, you know, a creation that's much, it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. And the sharing you can have and the connections you can have, just incredible. And where we can get easily hung up is in with this line. I'm going to have you say the P word there. Be perfect. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. That's how it ends. And now a lot of people have struggled with that. Like, what does it actually mean to be perfect? And here is, what kind of perfect is God talking about? So I want to say there's clear challenges, and I want to say that there's, there's also a place where God's saying, like, look, it's not what you necessarily think. And we kind of lose it with how we use language. There's actually much richer language here than, than at first glance. So I want to tell you a story about Paul. You know, Paul, for those of you who don't know, he's the person responsible for writing a large part of, of what the, is the modern-day Bible. And he was a Pharisee, he was a clergyman who was in charge, actually a Jewish clergy person who was in charge of actually persecuting the Christians for the Romans. That was sort of his, his job. And he even went so far as to commit murder several times. And, you know, interesting story, has this big conversion experience, ends up being really one of the forefathers of, of the Christian movement. What's interesting with Paul is Paul has a certain part in Philippians where he starts looking back and he's saying, look, you know what, wow, I was... As this murderous guy. Now look where I am. And he uses this line. This is really interesting to me. As far as the law can make you perfect, I was faultless. You can kind of, you kind of have to put yourself in the position, right? Here's a guy who's, who's listening and he's looking at his life and he's thinking, how is it that someone like me who did religions, I'm going to have you say the P word here, did religion so so perfect, could end up being this really angry, rageful, literally murderous person. How the heck did that happen? Like, I followed the law. I, this, this doesn't make sense. Well, it's interesting because the word there, perfect, the perfect in this part of the Bible, means blameless. So here's Paul saying, look, you know what, I'm... I, I'm blameless. You know, I, the law had made me blameless. Well, you think about that spiritually, and, and you got to kind of follow here. You think of that spiritually, that's not good spirituality. That's not a good kind of perfection. How many of us have ever had arguments with kids on the way to the shore? Right? And just a knowing laugh. You know, and, and, and we all remember those arguments, right? And inevitably, you had a rotten brother who did something, and you went, wasn't me, I'm blameless. That's not moral behavior. I mean, it's good. It's great that you're blameless. But you see, if, if we regard perfection, see if I can get the words right here. If we regard perfection as just being blameless, that means someone else always is to blame. One me. Thank goodness I'm not him or her. So we hold ourselves out as blameless. Like, I don't want to hang out with somebody who thinks their biggest thing in life is to be blameless. I don't want to sit beside them on an airplane. 
Interesting, right? So how is it that we might want to hold this a little differently? Because this even has very real world repercussions today. This article in the New York Times, you know, all the recent terrorist attacks, and they're talking about how this small group of Muslim terrorists, not the Muslim movement, this small group of jihadists have twisted the themes of Ramadan to exploit belief and holy rewards. So they've, they've taken this, this beautiful faith and they've twisted it. Now again, Christians can do the same thing. Any, any thought pattern you take can take its best parts and can take those best parts and twist them into something that's monstrous. And I love the little blurb there on the right, focusing on the war of the spirit, on offensive spirit, rather than on the moral spirit. Very interesting. Very interesting flip there. And how, how do we wrestle with that? How do we sort of find a way to understand religion and, and the perfection it asks in a way that actually is healthy and helps religion to come back? Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the challenges of our time is a lot of people look at religion, they'll look at that and go like, well, you know, you look at all the harm that religion does. And yes, it does do some harm. But the harm it does is because people have taken those best parts of faith and twisted it. And twisted it. Creating a God that somehow takes the worst of humanity and putting those pieces on God and considering that to be perfection to follow that. And religion's always more than just that kind of perfect, that perfect following. I would be so bold as to say this. If you're not kind, you miss the point. If you're not kind, you missed the point. If you're not kind, you missed the point. Because the word perfect actually means this. Look at this, folks. Perfect, let's say that word there. Perfect means wholeness. Consummate human integrity. Now, as the band comes out, I want you to think, like, yeah, what a different form of perfect that is. Like, it's not a perfect where, where it's like this exact script of how everything goes. It's where we live in a way that we feel whole. It's where we live in a way that we feel in consummate integrity. And the word integrity, it's, it's a Latin word for meaning woven together, where we feel like our lives are woven together. That's a much more powerful view. And even that word integrity means this. The word integrity means there is a part of you that's seeking to find breath, that's seeking to find that match, that's seeking to be woven out there into your life. So you have wholeness between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. And when we come back after the song, I want to talk like, yeah, how does that look? And, and how do we actually do that and pull that off, that kind of new life-giving perfection? So we have a we have a winner for the over and against. Derek sends us this text from South Carolina. He said, over and against, 47. Thanks to Kroger's supermarket, I think the gates of hell are there. <laughs> so, so there you go. No one's even close. I think the next closest one, Derek, not to make you feel bad, was two. So, you know, yeah, we, we do. We, we hold this stuff, and yet and how do we hold perfection differently? How do I sort of, like, look at these words that, that God is offering, kind of see it as a as a solution, see it as a way to kind of break through, to maybe break a construct of God that I have. Um, a little aside, when we break a concept of God that we have, oftentimes that can feel like a loss of faith. Uh, 
it's a total aside, it's not necessarily a loss of faith. It's a loss of faith in a God who never existed anyways. That makes sense? It's a loss of faith in a God who never existed anyways. And that's where God, you know, with, with, with Christ, like that's why the incarnation is so important, is that we can debate all day long about sort of a lofty view of God, but then you look at what Christ said, and more importantly, what he did. And it clearly points to a very different, freeing thing, where we're actually able to, listen to this, we're actually able to risk the attachments of love. We're actually able to risk the attachments of love. And what does it look like, that risk and those attachments of love, that this kind of perfection and wholeness that he's asking us to seek? Well, what does that look like? Well, not everybody knows this, but the Bible, there's, 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 in the New Testament, there's sort of what's called four testaments of Christ's life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they sort of all pivot around his life, everyone reporting it as they heard about it, or in John's case, as they saw it. So you can look at what this story here says in Matthew, and you say, okay, so how did, how did the Gospel of Luke, how did the Gospel of Luke hold that? And this was the word the Gospel of Luke is. Instead of saying, being perfect as your Father is in heaven, please say the word there, said, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So it, it's a beautiful little, you know, switch there. And then we take it one step further, and we add in new church. New church perspective on this. I, I was talking with somebody right before the service, a, a dear friend, and he was saying, yeah, check, you know, like new church theology, like there's parts I wrestle with, there's parts I don't get, there's parts I may not even accept or, or, or buy into. My feeling about that is I don't think that's what God is asking us to do. I don't think God ever asks us to look at this long list of beliefs, sign off on it, and go, got it. How, how well has that worked for you in your life? You know, it really, it really doesn't. I, you know, just, just imagine our most precious relationships. You know, those people who we're closest to. Did you ever give them a form that said you have to believe these 20 things and then sign off and then I'll be your buddy? Like, it, it's not what we do. We know that. We know that that doesn't work. New church really is about like, how do we embrace all these perspectives? If we in the new church are fundamentalist, it's fundamentalist about this. We are fundamentalist about being ecumenical. We are fundamentalist that we have to hold our arms out wide to everyone, to all of these different perspectives. Because that's how we become whole. That's how we become perfect. Again, not perfect isn't like doing it perfectly. I mean, Emmanuel Swedenborg, who a lot of our canon comes from, said it really, really clearly. Your perfection actually is your imperfection. Because that gives you the ability to grow and change and shift. Look at this beautiful piece here, folks. Something is more whole. The more perfectly its parts are distinguishably, say those three words, are distinguishably different and united at the same time. That's beautiful. Something's more whole. Something's more perfect. The more distinguishably different and united it is at the same time. The more that we can have this idea that variety actually is perfection. 
the more we can actually embrace our arms very wide and allow in that embracing for us to, 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 yes, understand that there is a true north, but that it's a very big tent. That it's a very big tent. Then I think we start to understand the perfect that God is talking about here. It's not a perfection that's a hall of mirrors. Oh, there I am, there I am, there I am. That's not it. It's not a hall of mirrors. It's a broad tent. It's a broad umbrella. It's an embracing that's so much wider, I think, than we can imagine. So what I want to do to really drive this home is I want to talk about cookie cutters. So I'm going to go over here and talk about cookies. we have any cookie fans here? Snickerdoodles are the way to my heart. I'm just sharing that with the congregation right now. So, you know, you look at like cookie cutters. I think, I think there's, there's sort of the, I tried to find the cookie cutter that looked like me. That does look like me, doesn't it? You shouldn't be laughing. Um, you know, and, and, and it, like, I think that's what we do, right? So, so we kind of get our image of how, our ego does, gets our image of how the world works, and then we create a cookie cutter of it. And what we do is we go around and we stamp that, and we start measuring people up, and we start saying, oh, you know what, you just don't quite fit this. We believe this. Folks, please say these words after, after me. We believe we are the sane ones. We are sane. Sane. We are safe. And we are right. Sane, safe, and right. Yeah, I believe I'm the sane one. I actually understand what to do here. I'm the safe one. You can totally trust me. And, and I'm the right one. You know, I mean, folks, like, like that way that we, we just, we do, we do this image thing where, I don't know, maybe this is a little bit of field. Like, I get offended when people don't ask me questions because I feel like, wait, I have all the answers. You know, so we have sort of one cookie cutter. And you see, this is what Paul was saying. Paul's saying, look, I had the idea of the perfect thing, and the law kind of created this perfect person. But the perfect person was a jerk. Did everything right. Everything, including giving charitably to, to, to the poor, everything you could imagine. But their heart wasn't there. His heart wasn't there. And because of that, he could take around this cookie cutter and find people who didn't fit. And it not only became like you didn't fit, it became a murderous rage in his heart that he actually acted out on. That's nuts. And I get it. I think we can do that all the time. I think what God does is, is, is God tries to remind us that, look, when we, when we have these thoughts of others, listen to this phrase somebody used on, on Sermon Writing Team. When we have these thoughts of others, what they are is they are nothing more than self-indulgent fantasy. I might even put that on my phone if I were you. It's just a self-indulgent fantasy I have. That I actually get the right to judge, that I actually know what's going on, that I understand this situation. My head can spin that around and around and around and around. I, you know, a couple of weeks ago after, after church, someone came up to me and it was a beautiful question. They said, Chuck, you know what? The, the challenge for me is like with not hating my enemies, the people who I most disagree with and I get most angry with are the people I love. How many of us get that? You know, it's actually those we love the most, we cherish the most, we're actually most likely to treat like the enemy. I mean, that's kind of crazy. So I, th- I think what God does is I think God goes like, well, Chuck, that's great. <laughs> but, but I think you need to have a perspective 
that there's a bunch of cookie cutters out there. There's a bunch of different ways. And, and listen carefully here to me, folks. I want you to, to say this word really loud. Make. Could we say make together? Make. And then I want you to say made really loud. Made. There's big difference there. I think when we're coming from this, I think what I'm saying is that my job is to make other people to be certain things, to do it certain ways. My job is to make people do that. That's very different, I think, than God's way of seeing it. Can you guys tell me what this is? Can you see that? It's an angel, right? I'll give you a little contrast there so you can see. You know, it's it's a nice little shadow. Uh, You know, it's an angel. I think God's saying this. God is saying, look, it's not about making people a certain way. It's that you all are made. You all are made. That God has made you in a certain way. He's made you. Our job is then to celebrate that. You get that difference? That's really important. Really important. Our ego will always say, my job is to make you a certain way. The better angels of our nature will celebrate that we are all, every single one of us is made in a different way. That's a much better world. This is a much healthier world. It pokes right through a lot of my judgments about how the world is supposed to work, how things are supposed to flow. It it, it changes it. It opens me up. It it makes me much more appreciative of other people, much more grateful. And it, it helps me to understand wholeness in a new way. It helps me to see, yeah, consummate human integrity might look like this. That, yeah, my job really is to love my enemies, to love our enemies. My job really is to pray for them. My job is really to reach out beyond my tribe with transformative love. I mean, that's what this is saying. And notice how much that starts to shift everything. I mean, even folks down to soccer, down to soccer. Corey, can I put you on the spot? You ready, Corey? Corey, who won the European Championships? Which country was it? Was it, well, you got a 50-50 chance. Was it Portugal or France? Portugal. So Portugal won the European Championship in soccer. You know, and it's a big deal over there. The only bad part was, where was the championship game played? Did anybody follow soccer? Where was it played? In France. So I want you to take a look at this video of this father, this Portuguese father, as he videos his son after the game going up to a French fan. And I think you'll see what I'm trying to drive at here. Take a look. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I want to tell you another story. 
You know, I, a number of us probably remember, this was probably, eight, I'm going to guess, eight years ago. Anybody here remember the, the nickel mines where those, those five Amish kids lost their lives? You know, I, we, we had talked about that in here before. Well, my son lives in Lancaster. So he said, Dad, Dad, I really want to, want to show you. I want to show you what the Amish did to commemorate this. So, you know, I said, sure, I'll love to go and see it. It's interesting how they chose to commemorate that. This is how they commemorated it. Folks, this is so big, and I don't even have words for it. I don't really get it. It just strikes me like, yeah, this is something true that we have to share and we have to think about. Maybe we think about it moving through this week. So, so here's this schoolhouse where this, where this horrendous crime took place. And tons of forgiveness that happened there. For those of you who don't know the story, you know, it was a mentally ill milk delivery man of all things. And, and, and actually a number of the Amish families who lost children went to his funeral. He committed, committed, took his own life after, after this event. And, and what they did, what they did is that they tore down the schoolhouse, turned it back into pasture, and they planted five, say the word, they planted five trees. I want a plaque for all my hurts and for all the people that have hurt me in my life. And here's a group that's looking at this Christian message very differently. And their celebration here is of life. Now that doesn't mean you don't have memorials. That doesn't mean there's there's anything wrong with having memorials. It's just we need to keep on remembering, like, what are we trying to memorialize? And here's a really interesting way to do it. A little counter, a way I think where we can see something different that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. We look to as well from, from how this works. And, and here's, here's a passage from Romans. Now as this is coming up, I need someone to run back and just tell the kids that we're going to be finished soon. So if somebody in the in the back. Marcus, could you just run back and tell the kids we're going to be finished soon? Thank you. Uh, this is the passage from Romans. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. There's that line again, right? This is Paul talking about it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Love and harmony with one another. Beautiful piece of Scripture. And again, I think what it does is it, it, it reshapes, like look at this next slide here. I think it reshapes how we're maybe to hold perfect. That first sentence, folks, I'm going to have you say the N-word really loud. We are not. We're not. We're actually not in the perfect business. Not as it was seen, like we're not in the perfect business. We can't. Because we never will be. We are not in the perfect business. Maybe we should stop pretending that is what God wants from us. Maybe we should stop pretending that's what God wants from us. Maybe instead, we are in the the courage business. Boy, that's different, right? Not in the perfect business. I'm actually in the courage business. 
courage, where my heart lives, to, to go to that place, that consummate human integrity, that is what true integrity takes. And I think in times like these that can feel all so unsettled, we need to keep coming back to those true norths, those, 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 those Christian pieces that can draw us to our better selves. Now, I want to share with you here a video. This comes out of, you know, we just got done the convention season. This is, was the convention, this is the Republican convention in, in Cleveland. And this was a group of people getting together spontaneously. And what they're really praying for is they're praying for their city. They're really praying for the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that's not the words you're going to hear, but that's what I really believe. A beautiful prayer for a city. Now, it's quiet. It's quiet. You've got to listen really carefully to their prayer and what's said. Again, this is the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. A real short little clip. Take a look. God bless you. No, don't cry. Don't cry. God bless you, man. Yeah, man. What a beautiful day. Could we try that one more time just with the, see if we can get the sound? I wanted to hear the prayer. See if we can do that one more time. In the name of Jesus, protect and help us to love each other the way you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, bro. God bless you. No, don't cry. Don't cry. God bless you, man. Yeah, man. What a beautiful day. My lovely day. I love that. I mean, I just think that's beautiful. I think that's spontaneous. It's not scripted. Here are people praying for Christ's presence. You know, and here's this, this wonderful police officer doing his duty, and he's in tears, they're in tears, they're hugging. It's about that, it's about that bigger piece. You guys can come on in. About that bigger piece. It's where we see five trees become four trees, and now we get to celebrate two very beautiful trees as we celebrate a baptism. So, all right, to close the service, please join me in prayer. And then we're going to do the last song. And the last song is about dancing, because that's so much what this is. Like, like baptism is this beautiful starting point. It's about really learning how to dance. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Lord, thank you for your presence with this beautiful family. Thank you, Lord, as well, for the opportunity that we have to maybe think of life a little differently. To maybe, Lord, really reach out in ways that show a love for others a care for others, a prayer for others, an understanding of perfection, Lord, that gets us out of the perfection business and into the courage business. Be with us, Lord. Be with these two wonderful young men. Be with us in our journey. Be with us in this world. Help us to find peace. Help us to find our way home. Help us, Lord, to dance. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.